Well, please turn back with me in our Bibles this evening uh, to the book of Leviticus, and we're going to have our second reading uh, from chapter 5. Leviticus chapter 5, and reading verses 1 to 13. And this evening we want to look at Leviticus 4 and 5 as we're looking at what is known as the sin offering. But we'll read first in Leviticus chapter 5. If anyone sins in that he hears a public adjuration to testify, and though he is a witness, whether he has seen or come to know the matter, yet does not speak, he shall bear his iniquity. Or if anyone touches an unclean thing, whether a carcass of an unclean wild animal, or a carcass of an unclean livestock, or a carcass of unclean swarming things, and it is hidden from him, and he has become unclean, and he realizes his guilt, or if he touches human uncleanness, of whatever sort the uncleanness may be, with which one becomes unclean, and it is hidden from him, when he comes to know it and realizes his guilt, or if anyone utters with his lips a rash oath to do evil or to do good, uh, any sort of rash oath that people swear, and it is hidden from him, when he comes to know it and he realizes his guilt in any of these, when he realizes his guilt in any of these and confesses the sin he has committed, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he has committed, a female from the flock, a lamb or a goat for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him, for his sin. But if he cannot afford a lamb, then he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he has committed two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. He shall bring them to the priest and shall offer first the one for the sin offering. He shall wring its head from its neck, but he shall not sever it completely. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood of the sin offering on the side of the altar, while the rest of the blood shall be drained out at the base of the altar. It is a sin offering. Then he shall offer the second for a burnt offering, according to the rule. And the priest shall make atonement for him, for the sin that he has committed, and he shall be forgiven. But if he cannot afford two turtle doves or two pigeons, then he shall bring as his offering for the sin that he has committed, a tenth of an ephah of fine flour for a sin offering. He shall put no oil on it, and shall put no frankincense on it, for it is a sin offering. And he shall bring it to the priest, and the priest shall take a handful of it as a memorial portion, and burn this on the altar. On the Lord's food offerings, it is a sin offering. Thus the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin which he has committed in any one of these things. And he shall be forgiven, and the remainder shall be for the priest, as in the grain offering." We have been uh, looking at uh, this book in our evenings together over the last couple of weeks, and we've been looking at some of the sacrifices that were offered up in the Old Testament period. 
Uh, and maybe as we're reading these sacrifices, it really does feel like you're entering into a time machine and going to a different time or going to a different world even, uh, because it seems so foreign uh, from our day-to-day living. Uh, all this talk about blood, about sacrifices, about priests, about a tabernacle are, are foreign uh, to the way in which we live and think uh, in, our, in our world today. And the temptation would be to look at this book and to think it has no relevance. Uh, it doesn't speak to my world. It, it is of another world uh, speaking to another matter. But when we stop and slow down and start to dig just a little bit, we will find that the book of Leviticus is very much relevant. Uh, when we begin to scratch and to ask the questions, what is Leviticus after? What is Leviticus trying to answer? What is it trying to do? We begin to see that Leviticus remains relevant to us because it is teaching us something about God and ourselves. And one of the things that we notice as we look at these offerings is how the offerings that were made, the sacrifices that were made, were understandable. Uh, They weren't just simply trying to placate the gods as in the pagan religions. They, they were orderly, they were, they were instructive, they were telling the people certain things that they were to learn about God and how they related with God. We've already looked at three of those offerings, what we called the ascension offering or the burnt offering, uh, secondly, the grain offering, and then thirdly, the fellowship or the peace offering. And we said that those three offerings really worked uh, together. Uh, they would be offered in sequence. And sometimes they were mandatory, but they were also offered up voluntarily, expressing uh, a recognition of God's greatness, about a desire for communion with this living God, and of living before him uh, as well. But this evening we are coming to a different uh, kind of offering. This offering was mandatory. This offering was specific. This offering was in response uh, to sin. And this evening, as we're coming to look at Leviticus 4, we want to see that because God has provided a sacrifice to cleanse us from filth, that we are to trust in God's provision in order to be clean. We want to think about this chapter, these two chapters, in two thoughts. We want to think about the defilement or our pollution, our filth, And then secondly, we want to think about the cleansing that God provides. And when we begin to understand what Leviticus is addressing, we begin to see just how relevant this is for us even today. Well, first, we want to look at uh, the, the defilement or the filth that is being addressed. Uh, You will notice that uh, there is a heading uh, to this uh, chapter if you're using uh, the church Bibles. Uh, The heading uh, to Leviticus 4 is called the Laws for Sin Offerings. The reason why this heading is given is because the word sin is found 10 times in this chapter. So what better way of describing or summarizing what this offering was all about than to call it a sin offering? But there may be a better way of trying to describe this offering. While the word sin is used 10 times in this chapter, if we begin by asking, what is this offering intended to do? What is its purpose exactly? 
we would answer its purpose was in order to clean people. Its, its purpose was to purify them. And when we begin to ask that question, what was its intention behind it? We come to the idea of thinking of this more as a, a purification offering. And so this evening, I want us to be thinking about it in light of that. Uh, but we may revert back and forth between a purification and a sin offering. But the reason why, why think about it in this way, there's a couple of uh, factors. One reason is, is because you'll notice when we come to Leviticus 5 in the second half of that chapter, it'll mention another kind of offering. It'll call that offering a guilt offering. But the guilt offering is also dealing with sin. And so we're going to have a hard time distinguishing between these two offerings if we call this one a sin offering and the next one is also dealing with sin. So we're trying to keep them distinct in our minds. Uh, and so a purification offering helps us understand exactly what is happening with sin. We need to be cleansed of sin. And, and that's one reason. But another reason why we want to call it a purification offering uh, is because the way it is used in the Bible. While it is used with respect to sins that are committed, it is also used in contexts where no sin is committed. Uh, for instance, after a woman gives birth to a child, uh, she would have this offering commit, uh, practiced. Uh, there would be a purification rite practiced in order to cleanse. Uh, but there was no sin associated with that, but rather it was simply communicating the need for cleanliness. Uh, a third reason why we might want to think about this in terms of purification is because of the meaning of the word itself. Uh, the word can mean decontamination. And in our world today, we know uh, how concerned people can be with wanting to decontaminate or to avoid any signs of contamination. And that's what this uh, whole offering is about, wanting to rid anything that contaminates or pollutes or that makes one unclean. And so we find elsewhere uh, in uh, the Bible, for instance, in Numbers chapter 8, uh, this word is used with reference to water, the water of purifying, uh, water that would be used for purifying and cleansing an individual. So whether you call this the sin offering or whether you want to call it the purification offering, what we want to do as we're looking at this offering is just to be asking, what is it doing? What is it meant to communicate? And what we are coming away with understanding is this idea of we need to be made clean. We need to be washed. We need to be rid of our defilement. And so we want to look uh, at that this evening. One of the things that the people of Israel were taught through this offering was is that sin defiles them and bars them from coming before a God who is perfectly pure. So Moses begins this chapter by saying, uh, or the, the scriptures begin this chapter by saying, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel. If anyone sins unintentionally in any of the Lord's commandments about things, that ought, uh, about things not to be done, and does any one of them, uh, there's the condition uh, that explains when this offering was to be done, uh, when they have done something that they ought not to have done. Their defilement is occasioned 
by not doing uh, or by doing what they should not have done. If you remember uh, Shakespeare's story of Macbeth, uh, it's a powerful story uh, of guilt. Uh, Macbeth uh, is, uh, he is persuaded by his lady, by Lady Macbeth, uh, to go and to kill the king in order to ultimately to become king himself. And so he kills Duncan in the story. But after Macbeth kills the king, he comes back to Lady Macbeth and he's horrified by what he has done. And in Shakespeare's telling of that story, he says, can all the oceans of Neptune cleanse my hands from what I have done? Can all the waters of Neptune make me clean because my hands are defiled? I've killed a man. And Macbeth, uh, Shakespeare's telling of it helps us appreciate just the defilement, the sense of uncleanness, the sense of filth that Macbeth was wrestling with. He was horrified by what he had committed himself. And what this offering is trying to emphasize is how do we understand and process sin? How do we process our actions when we do something that ought not to be done? But notice how Leviticus unfolds this. Because throughout this chapter, uh, you see how this uh, chapter is breaking down into sections. You can see that uh, even with the, the, the paragraphs themselves. It helpfully summarizes uh, what the purpose of the chapter is. It, it breaks down into different groups. It, it describes what happens when the high priest commits something that he ought not to have done. What happens when the nation commits, the whole congregation commits something that they ought not to have done? What happens when a leader does that? And what happens when an individual, ordinary citizen does that? And what Leviticus is doing there, one thing that we should come away with recognizing is how Leviticus assumes the universality of sin. That Leviticus assumes from the ordinary citizen in Israel all the way up to the high priest. There needs to be provision made for how they can be made clean when they have defiled themselves. That they have to know how to respond when they are themselves unclean. You notice uh, how Leviticus teaches us what sin is. Sin is a, a dirty word in our culture today. People don't like talking about sin or hearing about that's a sin or this is a sin. What is sin? Sin is doing what we ought not to have done. But it is also something that renders us unclean. Something that teaches us that we are defiled. It, it, it's actually resonating with something very core to us. That like Macbeth, we recognize that we have done things that we shouldn't have done. And what do we do when we feel unclean? When we recognize that we have, we have transgressed our own principles. We have done something that has brought grave consequences on another person. What do we do when we feel dirty? And Leviticus is trying to answer that question. Because there are times when we have done things that actually make us unclean. 
And Leviticus uh, is addressing that here. And so the first thing that we have to realize is that this defilement is assumed to be universally uh, capturing the human condition. It's not just one part of society that is unclean. It's not just some people out there that are sinners. Leviticus says even the high priest needs to have his defilement washed away. And so we need to know how to respond to that. All have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. There is none that is righteous, no, not one. The people are learning that with this foundational book of God's revelation. The second thing that they are to learn about defilement uh, is not only its universality, but also its scope in terms of how they become defiled. We read from both Leviticus 4, but also into Leviticus 5. And in chapter 5 there, you notice that he highlights different scenarios whereby people would become unclean. Uh, They can become clean, and these are just case scenarios. But one of them, uh, at the beginning of chapter 5, is when they fail to testify. When they fail to testify. In a time period before forensic science... Courtroom cases would have been dealt with mostly by eyewitness testimony. That would have been your key evidence when someone says, I saw it, and I will testify to what I have seen. But a person may shrink back from saying what they saw, perhaps because it was a family member, perhaps because the person who committed that uh, crime was an important person in society, and they don't want trouble coming back on them perhaps because they're indifferent to what they went through. But in either case, they refuse to get involved. But notice here their their refusal to speak is not a neutral position. It's, It's delaying and it's denying justice. And so in doing so, they are bringing guilt upon themselves. They are themselves uh, held accountable uh, for failing to speak. And so this is one way in which a person could be uh, defiled themselves. Uh, Sin then is not only doing things that ought not to be done, but from the beginning, sin is doing, not doing the things that we ought to have done. In other words, we, we talk about this as sins of commission, the things that you actually do, breaking God's law. But we can also sin by not doing what we should have done. And here, the people of Israel would be told that they were sinning if they failed to protect righteousness, if they failed to, to love their neighbor, if they failed to speak the truth in order for the good of society. Another way in which they could def- become defiled was by coming into contact with something unclean. Perhaps they moved a carcass of an animal and they forgot, or they may have sat somewhere that was deemed unclean. As a result, even though they didn't realize it or they don't remember, they are still themselves declared to be unclean. In other words, it's not just if they remember it or if they did it on purpose, but they are deemed unclean because of the reality of what has taken place. Again, we have this principle even in our own society. If you're driving home tonight and you drive through a a subdivision, if you drive through an area where it's a 50 zone and you're driving 60, 
uh, but you didn't see the change in the sign. You didn't see uh, you're moving into a new community. Uh, and the police pull you over. You can't simply say, I didn't know. The police officer holds you accountable whether or not you were aware of what you were doing or whether you did it on purpose or not. You're held accountable for what you have done. And so the people here are being taught that sin is not only when we do it on purpose, uh, but sin is something uh, that we're accountable for our actions. Uh, we're still responsible when we break God's law. A third scenario whereby people could become defiled was when they made a rash oath in verses 4 and 5 of chapter 5. A person may promise to do something, but when the moment passes, they completely forget. Uh, they didn't mean to break their oath, they just moved on. But it is a serious action because in invoking God's name and in failing to carry through, they don't show reverence for the Lord and no fear of his judgment uh, for not being faithful. What are we to conclude from all of this? That sin is deceptive is deceptive. Uh, we can deliberately commit actions and not perceive the sin of it. We can be defiled and not be aware. Notice that in, uh, back in chapter 4 at verse 23 and again in verse 28. These things they have to be made aware of. Uh, in verse 23, uh, uh, or the sin which he has committed is made known to him. That sin has to be confronted with. Someone has to tell them. There has to be a work in which that, uh, that action now is come to light, where they now recognize that they have done wrong. And so here, uh, we are recognizing that whether we act ignorant, ignorantly or rationalize, our actions are still accountable to God. Andrew Bonar, uh, a free churchman of the past, says, so deceitful is sin, that we may be committing that abominable thing which cast angels into an immediate and eternal hell and yet be totally unaware of it. So deceitful is sin that we could be doing something that has eternal consequences for the angels and not even being sensitive, not even being aware of what we are doing. We're numb. And that's the deceitfulness of sin. So this offering is about helping the people understand the problem of defilement. Defilement is something that we all have. From ordinary citizen to clan leader to whole congregation to high priest. You all need to be aware of how to respond when your defilement comes to light. Your defilement is not only when you do things that you ought not to have done, but when you fail to do the things that you should have done. And how do you respond when you know that you are filthy? The purification offering teaches the people how to respond to sin. And so we want to think secondly about this cleansing. What stands out about the purification is the diversity of ways in which it was carried out. We mentioned in Leviticus 4 there, you can see those paragraph headings, the four different categories. But we see that there are different ways in which they responded to sin. Whether it was the high priest or whether it was a ruler, a leader in uh, the people. Whether it was the whole assembly or whether it was just one person. 
there were different ways in which offerings were made. They differed in terms of who gave the offering. They differed in terms of what was offered. But they also differed in terms of where the blood was applied. And what that was doing is it was doing something significant. It was teaching the people the principle of the seriousness of sin. That, that all sin is serious. And some sin is even more serious. Or as Jay Sklar says, we say in our own language today, all disease is bad, but some diseases are worse. The people were to realize that some sins have a greater severity because they can, they can break down that, that bridge that God has established in the tabernacle. When a high priest sins, the one who serves as a mediator between God and the people, he is disrupting that, that fellowship that God has established. He is one who can lead the whole nation astray. When the whole nation is sinning, that whole nation now is abandoning their God. And he threatens to withdraw his presence. And they no longer enjoy that fellowship with God. And so here we see something of the severity of sin and how different sins are, are treated. Again, when a defiled priest or a defiled sin uh, congregation has sinned, uh, it tells us that the high priest was to take a bull and to kill it. The blood was brought into the holy place and sprinkled in front or perhaps on the curtain to the most holy place. It was then placed on the horns of the incense altar uh, and it uh, was a remainder, uh, and the remainder was then poured out at the base of the altar of burnt offering. All this was communicating that the place surrounding the most holy place needed to be cleansed. God's throne was communicated as being in the most holy place. But when a high priest or the nation sinned, it meant that even the holy place now needed to be cleansed. <clears throat> that bridge now was threatened. And now the high priest has to come in and to make atonement so that that meeting place is still available. The blood is applied in the holy place on the altar of incense and in front of uh, the curtain uh, towards the most holy place. In other words, it's a trail of blood to get into the most holy place. And it is through that blood that there can be reconciliation. Whereas when it was a leader or a citizen, it is a male goat or a female goat, uh, and uh, that sacrifice, the blood was applied outside uh, the, the holy place uh, at the bronze altar. So a different altar. Uh, what they were to come away with then was understanding that all sin is serious, but some are more serious. When the nation as a whole, or when her priestly mediator uh, uh, mistakenly errors, it threatens the removal of God's protective presence. The involvement of the high priest, the bull, underscores the seriousness of sin, but so did the application of that blood. The blood was applied in front of the veil, in front of the curtain, signifying that it is only by the blood that one can uh, come into this uh, holy place uh, and find cleansing. Uh, and so there is the differences in how the blood was administered. 
All this indicates that there are grades of holiness in the temple or in the tabernacle. And the fact that the closer one served in the presence of God, the more serious sin was, and that the sin of the whole community was of greater significance than of an individual member. That's exactly what Jesus teaches in the New Testament. When Jesus speaks, Jesus says, For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. Jesus is teaching his people that to those who have become, have come close, those who have drawn near to God, there is a greater accountability and a greater severity towards sin. The consequences ripple out further. And we should realize the toxic nature of sin by those who would draw near to God. Sin is something that is to be treated with great seriousness, uh, especially by those who have been given uh, a greater degree of closeness with God. So how is it that sin can be cleansed uh, when they become aware of what they have committed? Two things stand out about the purification offering. One, their cleansing comes on the basis of confession. And secondly, their cleansing comes on the basis of compensation. In chapter 5, at verse 5, it says, When he realizes his guilt in any of these and confesses the sin that he has committed. This is the first mention of confession in uh, the offerings. This is, this is uh, uh, a recognition of one's sin uh, being uh, uh, expressly mentioned uh, by the worshiper. An acknowledgement of sin, an awareness of guilt, and a, are what produce a broken and a contrite heart. His confession of defilement is based on a knowledge of the sin that he has committed. It is definite, concrete, and certain. So when we think about, when we think about drawing near before God, drawing near to God involves prayer. We looked at the Lord's prayer, forgive us our debts. But when you think about the purification offering, when they came with their goat, bull, when they came with their, their fine flour, when they came with that, they knew exactly what they were presenting it for. When you pray to God, do you ask for your sins to be forgiven? Because that's how the people of God were taught. You need to be cleansed because you are defiled. But when the people of God came before God in prayer and in worship in the tabernacle, they also knew exactly what they needed cleansing for. They could name their sins. Do you confess your sins in prayer? And if you do, can you name the sin? Can you speak about what it is that makes you defiled? Can you name what it is that has made you unclean? Can you tell God what you need to be forgiven of? Because that's how the people came before God with their filth. It was a recognition that their sin is something concrete. But that also became the basis of knowing that their hope was concrete. Wash me or I die. And here they recognize, I am unclean. But God has provided a, a sacrifice whereby I can be washed. 
And so they first come recognizing and confessing their sins, but they also come giving compensation. They also come giving a sacrifice. What is so striking about the purification offering is, is that while it is something that communicated the costliness of sin, a bull being offered up when a person sinned, a high priest or the nation, it was also flexible enough that anyone could offer it. Whether you were the ordinary citizen or the leader of your people, anyone could offer a purification offering. If you couldn't uh, uh, purchase a goat, you could offer up two turtle doves. If you didn't have two turtle doves, you could offer up fine flour. But it is going to cost you something. There is a cost to cleansing. And the people were to learn that lesson. We all stand in need of cleansing, both rich and poor. And we all need to be cleansed. And that cleansing comes at a cost. The purification offer, uh, offering teaches us how unclean sinners can be made uh, clean in God's sight. When a priest or the nation sinned, it was serious. It required the high priest. It required the blood of a bull. It required the sprinkling. Uh, sprinkling, which communicates cleansing uh, uh, throughout the scriptures. Uh, that happened in order to communicate the forgiveness of sins. The act, though, was to make them clean, to cleanse them of all their impurities. Jesus came in to give his life as a sacrifice for sins. But the writer of Hebrews goes further than that. The writer of Hebrews doesn't just say that Jesus died as a sacrifice. The writer of Hebrews said that after Jesus laid down his life, that he did it as a purification. He did it in order to cleanse us from our sins. So when we are taught in the Bible, if anyone confesses their sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins. On what basis? On the basis of the sacrifice of the purification offering. That the Lord Jesus laid down his life in order to cleanse sinners. That's what the people of God were always hoping for. I'm unclean, but God will make me clean. I have defiled, but God is a God who can set me right. I have confessed my sins, and I am looking to God's compensation. I am looking to the provision that God himself ultimately gives in order to be made clean. The result of Christ's work is, is that one can be forgiven of sins. What's the relevance of Leviticus? How does someone become clean when they feel filthy? It's not simply by ignoring or suppressing one's filth, one's shame, one's sins of the past. The book of Leviticus is answering that question. One becomes clean when one has the blood applied in their place. We can know the truth of our filth, but we can also know the truth of cleansing. That's good news. That we can be made clean in God's sight. So that with the psalmist, we can say, who can ascend into God's house where the king of glory abides? Who can draw near with confidence to God's throne of grace? The one with clean hands, with a pure heart. 
But that's not me. But in Jesus Christ, it is you. In Jesus Christ, you are washed. In Jesus Christ, you are made clean. That's faith. That's how people are learning to live. I am filthy by nature, but God has washed me. How have you been washed and made clean? In the blood of sacrifice. The Lamb of God has come to take away the sins of this world. That forgiveness is available to all. That's what the purification was teaching. Anyone can offer it. It's not just for some segments of the society. It's not just for the rich people. If you don't have two cents to your name, bring fine flour. It'll be your compensation. And God will forgive you. You go back over this chapter, and what does it stress? And their sins shall be forgiven. It says it four times. The people were to know their sins were forgiven. They were to know how, concretely, definitely. Just as they brought that purification offering saying, this is for my sin, for X. So they were to come away saying, I have been cleaned of X because of the sacrifice. And we are to look to Christ saying that in Christ, my sins have been washed. Are you doing that this evening? Are you looking for cleansing from your sin? Have you recognized that you're defiled? And have you recognized the cleansing in the Lord Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we think about uh, these offerings, that we would see how relevant they are uh, because they touch on uh, the very issues uh, that make us up, uh, the issues of uh, defilement, uh, the ideas of our own twisted nature uh, being addressed. And we thank you that there is good news for sinners, that we can be made uh, clean and washed in your sight. So, Lord, we pray that you would lead us and guide us in your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.